The question is not if you are sexist, but how sexist you are. It's an old one. Is it? Yeah. And well, I mean, uh, don't you think the word term sexist seems like, like not enough these days? This is like a, a book from the like the eighties. Yeah, it seems like an eighties word. It doesn't imply the criminality. Exactly. I think. Yeah. But anyway. Hey. Anyway, you know, you can find out where that's from, right? Yeah, you can find out where that's from. On the program, which you don't have a paper one in your hand because we're going paperless. It's but the future. You can find it really easily by putting your phone to the QR code, and you will find the House of Mercy program with all the information you might need. Except not this week. I did not send it in. Oh. <laughs> but usually you can do that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, well, we hope you've had some good moments in your weekend, and thank you so much for coming out uh, during these dog days of summer. It's good to see you. And if you're watching the podcast, hello and welcome. Yeah. I mean, not watching the podcast. I mean, listening to the podcast. People do what they do. Or watching the live stream. Yeah, so glad uh, that you're here. And you, too, can, uh, uh, well, I guess they can. I was going to say the whole thing about the QR code again, but next week. Um, but look who we have here. Uh, it's so great. You know, uh, we are looking for a new band leader. And uh, this summer we've been having um, fill-ins, I guess. What do you call them? A better word for that. Guests. That's a guess. And again, for this month, we're having uh, Paul Wonder and The Never Cease um, with us here today. I just made up that band name. Um, but so glad to have you back again. And uh, you're doing a guest uh, artist number. Yep. All right. So, we look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> we have something coming up on July 28th, right? Yeah. A conversation. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what, yeah. No, first of all, before, you know, we had all the summer been cooperating with uh, other churches with the uh, Capital Regional water, Watershed District and uh, Bethlehem to do a series of events here. We did the art, music, uh, water, what, festival a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if you've noticed the new mosaic outside as you come in. It's looking really fantastic. And thank you for all the people who've been working on it and to Angie, who's heading it up. Well, as part of that same initiative, we are having a, a community conversation. Um, and this, oh, what is this one? This is when, when neighbors talk, the crime rates drop. It's just about bringing names together to have conversations around uh, people's, uh, the impact of crime on people, and uh, tell me more. <laughs> it's a, it's Say just a, less. <laughs> it's kind of a good way to just have conversations with neighbors from Bethlehem, neighbors from this area, and each other. Um, have, you know, respectful conversations with people who might have different belief systems. I'm just trying to think now what that has to do with water. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't think this one has to okay, do with wait, water. Okay, wait, but, but uh, we are, this is what I'm talking about. Append the thing about water to what I'm just about to say. Um, so what we're going to do is we are getting together this Saturday, and uh, through this program we have $1,000 worth of uh, amazing uh, plants, flowers, uh, that will be planting on Monday here, and this Saturday we're gathering to take up all the sod out here, and uh, if you would like to participate, we need the help. Uh, you can talk to Phyllis if you're interested. It's fun for all ages. 
Um, and they got one of those sod kicker things. What are those? Have you done that? Where you kick I it? I haven't done it. It's really fun um, and hot. But uh, this Saturday, 9 o'clock, uh, talk to Phyllis if you're interested. That was all very confusing. I don't know. It's on the thing. If you, yeah. you do, if you take a picture, <laughs> it's on the website. <laughs> yeah, the QR code explains yeah, it all. Yeah. Um, I think it's because we're nervous. Cause well, not nervous, but I think we're nervous in a good way. You know, we uh, have a good friend of ours back in the day at House of Mercy that she would sneak in the back and sit in the back pew to join us and then sneak out before we ever even knew her. And uh, she's been our friend for a long time. And then she went and got elected bishop of the St. Paul Synod, and she's joined us here today. Our Bishop Patricia Lowell is visiting with us here today, and we're so glad to have her here. So, if you happen to talk to her afterwards and say good things about us. <laughs> we always like No, that. it's not that kind of a relationship. It's just fun to have you here. Why are you so nervous? <laughs> is that it? I think that's it. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Come and listen in to a radio station Where the mighty hosts of heaven sing Turn your radio on Turn your radio on If you want to hear the songs of Zion Coming from the land of endless spring In touch with God Turn your radio on Turn your radio on and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Heaven's glory shake. Turn the lights down low. And listen to the master's radio. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on. Brother, listen in to the glory land chorus. Listen to the glad hosannas ring. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Get a little taste of joys awaiting. Get a little heaven in your soul. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio. 
touch with God Turn your radio on I invite you to join me now in the prayers of community. Let's pray. God of mercy, we pray for the world, for people who can't afford food or health care, for those whom our current crisis have taken the greatest toll, for those suffering through wars and displacement, for people dying from COVID or suffering from its consequences. We pray for the trees and water and life that is destroyed for profit. We pray that we will be mindful of the vast, diverse, beautiful, and endangered life that is not our own. May our egos dissolve a bit in the face of the great expanse, our narcissism diminish. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, if there are things we can do to help make the world better, or love our neighbor a little more, help us do them. Elect leaders who care for people more than profit, drive less, eat differently, believe more in the seemingly impossible possibility. Free us to be creative creatures and not just ride on on all the limited preconceived paths. Not to find our narratives in the ways of the world, but somehow be transformed by the stunning narratives of wild and diverse and unbelievable redemption. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, help us with our most intimate bonds, with our partners and friends and children and loved ones, because it's in these relationships that all the ugliness and loveliness of who we are is inevitably revealed. Help us not to hide, Help us not to pretend. Help us not to try to convince anybody of a lie about who we are. Make gracious intimacy possible with us. We need your gracious intimacy to infuse us, helping us to trust, setting us free. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray that this community, this church, House of Mercy, will witness to you to your reconciling love and mercy, in spite of our pride or sloth, or just how off we can sometimes be, in spite of our lack or through it, help us witness to you. God, in your mercy. We pray that we will have some beautiful days of summer where we can breathe easy for a moment or two and enjoy the world. God, in your mercy. We pray that you would make yourself known to those in need, to those who are sick and suffering, to those who are broken and angry and full of pain. Make yourself known as love and hope, as something wildly and unimaginably gracious. We pray for your peace, however strange or surprising or unlike what we imagine. God, in your mercy. We confess that we give in to impossibility, that we walk on preconceived paths, despairing of the possibility of transformation and redemption. We confess that we hide and pretend and settle for less than gracious intimacy. May your mercy surround us as you hear the prayers and confessions that we offer now as we pause for silence.
Your mercy surrounds us. Lead us further into it. Amen. Pass me not a gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While another's thou art comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. 
There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of God. I mean, I can say it, right? Women, like when it comes to women, you know, it's very confusing. I mean, things get twisted together. You, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, ladies, you get it, right? Right? Um, you can feel it, right? Things get so confused that it's like hard to tell what is the most dominant element in the societal hatred for y'all. I mean, is it the misogyny, you know? Um, then also there's like, you get that, some racism put in there, there's economic inequality, religion. You know, sometimes you can see it where race and class and religion and genderous hatred, they get so mixed together, you know, that it like intersected that it's, it's hard to pull them apart. I do know men who are not part of the original voting block do experience extreme bigoted hatred as well. You know, the original voting block established in the Constitution being men who were white, wealthy, Protestant. And uh, really, I know it's not helpful to try and quantify and compare bigotry and hatred, except, you know, when sometimes it is. You know, maybe not quantify and compare, but maybe focus. Because it does seem like when you take like racial, religious, and class hatred, and then you add non-maleness, it just seems to like really ramp it up. It's like an extra protein powder in the hate shake, that being a woman thing. Keith Ellison, the first Muslim elected to Congress, was certainly called out and accused of being anti-Israel, but Ilan Omar, when she was elected to that same seat as one of the first Muslim women in Congress, experienced seething vitriol at like Hillary Clinton levels. As a matter of fact, the venomous monomaniacs, they've switched out Hillary almost practically forgot about her and just uh, focused their hate on these women of color. I mean, for a while there, right, Ilan Omar's picture was on Fox News more than Trump's. If she got royalties for every time they used her name, she would be like a billionaire. But of course, she is an elected government official, and so it would be illegal for her to profit from her name and position. And Nobody would get away with that. From the red-faced, full-throated mosaic of hatred toward women, tonight I want to pull out the shared femaleness to reflect on and posit that of all the ingredients, styles, flavors, and shades of misogyny that contribute to the attacks on these so-called women in power, there is always clearly um, this element, this call, this implication that a woman should know her place. A good woman knows her place. A good woman knows how to act. This charge has been used throughout history as the first line of attack when women challenge, threaten, outsmart, outplay, or do what they want without first asking permission from men. 
Who do these women think they are? Suggest uh, that they suggest we eliminate fossil fuels. Or who do these women think they are asking for equal pay while they win more games than the men's team? The question brought out in the text that we read tonight has almost always been about a woman's proper place. Mary and Martha's names have come to represent typologies of a good woman's place, and then pitting them against each other to see which one is best. Mary is seen as the responsible, hard-working, traditional, hair-in-a-bun, frumpy apron, no-fun, pinched-faced shrew, while Mary is seen as the free-spirited, intellectual, progressive, patchouli-scented, pleasant, blouse-wearing, hippie chick. And a plain reading of the text seems to answer the question of which kind of good woman is the goodest. According to Jesus Christ Almighty himself, drum roll please, Mary has chosen the better part. At which part Mary turns around and sticks her tongue out at Martha, and Martha scurries red face back to the kitchen. It's in the Bible. Clearly, that is the lowest, most reductionist reading of the text. To make this a binary pitting these two women against each other and declaring a winner serves to avoid the radical revelation of this text. In even higher level recent history of the interpretation of this text, there is still this notion that Martha is worried about many things confusing uh, around confusing the tradition, the traditions of the household duties, the duties of a good woman, while Mary understands that when Jesus is around, a good woman should forsake everything and focus on him. These readings from the start misapprehend the already radical nature of this household we find here in this text. First of all, a good woman in first century Palestine is attached to a man. She is her husband's, and if her husband dies and she doesn't have any brothers to take her, she belongs to her, her oldest son. Her place is to take care of the house and the man she is attached to. But here, there is no man. There's no man here in this text. This house belongs to Martha. She is not the traditional, she is not that traditional woman of first century Palestine. She is the boss. In John's gospel, Mary, Martha and Mary have a brother, Lazarus, with whom, uh, whose house Jesus visits, but not in Luke's gospel. In this narrative, the household is Mary and Martha. The text says, now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. The text continues, Martha had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, because of the history of interpretation, it's easy to read this as Martha is working and Mary is just sitting doe-eyed at Jesus' feet, not doing a thing. But the description of Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, is not a description of what she was physically doing at the time, it is a description of who Mary is. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet. To say someone sat at the feet 
of a particular rabbi, a teacher, is to say that they are a disciple of that teacher. To say Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, is to identify who she is, not what she is doing. Mary, who was one of Jesus' disciples, one who sat at Jesus' feet. The text continues, Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? And again, it's easy to picture a scene where Martha invites Jesus to her house, sits down, and Mary sees him and is transfixed, and she goes and sits at his feet, leaving Martha to set out the drinks and the refreshments. But Martha is not talking about that very moment when she talks to Jesus. She is talking about the fact that Mary has been gone from the house on the road with Jesus. She sits at Jesus' feet. She is one of Jesus' disciples. Martha is saying, she left me to do all the work of running this vast household. She wasn't talking about help putting together a relish tray. She was talking about managing the house, the crops, the animals, the workers. She was left to do it by herself while Mary was on the road with the rabbi. In the scene right before they arrive at Martha's house, Jesus has sent out his 70 disciples to go out on their own and to teach and to heal, to give them the power and the authority to act in his name. The 70 disciples, including Mary, travel with Jesus to Martha and Mary's village, to Martha's house. And not by accident, Jesus and the disciples don't just happen to buy Martha's house and she waves them in. No, Mary, and the, Mary takes the disciples and her rabbi and the other disciples to her sister's house to rest, to be fed. So this isn't like a little hut with Jesus sitting in the living room on the ground with Mary at his feet. This is a great household, an estate. And Mary and all the other 70-some disciples are showing up, and Martha is welcoming them in, and in all the chaos with Martha giving orders for the servants to help everyone get settled, Martha corners Jesus and says, look at this place. Look at all I have to manage. Don't you care that Mary left me to do it all on my own? And Jesus says to her what he said to the rich young ruler, what he said to the one who followed him but would, wanted to follow him, but only after he buried their dead. Or what he said uh, to the ones who had to, wanted to stay on their household or land, who he called away from their family fishing business. Martha, he said, you were worried and distracted by many things, distracted by your obligations to the status quo, distracted by your own wealth, distracted by the dominant narrative. Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her. Silver and gold will pass away. Come with us, Jesus is saying to Martha. And Martha listens. The very next verse, a disciple asks Jesus to teach us to pray. And Jesus teaches them saying, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread and forgive us our sins. 
For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. Jesus is teaching Martha and the rest of the disciples that when you pray, pray for the new calculus of God's kingdom to come, to overcome the calculus of the dominant narrative. Trust God for what you need every day. Don't make every day about your own struggle to store up wealth. As for forgiveness, forgive everyone and set them free of their debts to you. Martha sits at the rabbi's feet and listens to his teaching with her sister and the other disciples. And as the narrative in Luke continues, the male disciples, they drop away. By the end, when Jesus is arrested and crucified, there are no longer 70-some disciples. Judas has betrayed him. Peter has denied him. And so many others have run scared. His group of followers is now not identified as the disciples. They are only identified now in this story as the women, because those are the only followers left. The women, they take his body and place it in the tomb. And at the resurrection, it is Mary, Joanna, the other Mary, all the other women who are there. How has this been so distorted in the history of the church? How has this been so distorted in the history of the interpretation of our holy book? That this text is about a spat between sisters doing their chores? About how women should know their place? We know her place. It's to teach and to heal in Jesus' name. We know her place is to be by Jesus' side at the crucifixion. Her place is to bear witness to the resurrection because without her, we would not have heard the proclamation of the radical mercy of God. She has prepared this meal. There the flowers will be blue 
skies will be clear and serene. The sun ever shines, giving one endless peace, and no clouds there will ever. Mercy Podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. There'll be peace in the valley for me someday. There'll be peace in the 